Hi, I'm Erica Ramirez, founder of Illy and host of What About Your Friends, a podcast dedicated to the many lives of friendship and how it's portrayed in pop culture. Every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, I talk to my best friend, Stephen Othello, and your favorites from within the Ringer and beyond about friendships on TV, in movies, pop culture, and our real lives. So join me every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, where we try to answer the question TLC asked back in the day, what about your friends? It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Bobbin, Logan Murdoch here, Raja Bell there. Raja, how you doing, bud? Good. I like the background, buddy. Thanks, man. I'm, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in Los Angeles right now at one of my homies' house, and this is his setup. Yeah. It's a little home studio. You know, LA, they just be having just home studio vibes, and they're, you know, oh, this is really Hollywood out That's here. like a, acoustic paneling, isn't it? It's it's something. It's nice. Yeah. I think it's it's soundproof or something like that. It's, yeah. it's, it's a vibe. Um, so I was in, so Raja, um, I'm, I'm in LA. Because I wanted yesterday, I want I wanted to come out and go see the L.A. Sparks play before right. I go to Vegas. Right, the Sparks played like shit, but it was a good experience. Right at Crypto.com Arena, um, the Dream ended up winning. Um, there was a lot of people out there, and uh, one in particular player that was at the game was Grant Williams, who just uh, who just is your newest Dallas Maverick, <laughs> mm. and the person that we're going to talk about. To start um, this segment on the podcast, he has been traded to the Dallas Mavericks um, as a part of a three-team deal. The Celtics get multiple second-round picks. Um, The Spurs get Reggie Bullock and a pick swap in 2023. Um, And the Mavs get Grant Williams, who signed a four-year, $53 million contract, and they also get multiple second-round picks. Hey, man. The Mavericks have gotten a lot of shit for their offseason, and uh, rightfully so in some cases. But listen, man, your guy Nico Harrison is out here doing some deal in Raja. How do you feel about this move? And considering the circumstances, getting Grant Williams in this offseason is pretty damn good. 
you know, when we talked about the Mavericks, if they were going to keep Kyrie and Luka, you know, together, the question was then going to be what what could you put around them to make that a successful kind of look? And, you know, defense is certainly and toughness is going to be a thing coveted by by a team with those two type of stars. I, I think that. You know, Grant Williams represents, although I don't, I don't know that he's an elite level defender. I think he's game and he's, and he's physical, um, and he has some toughness. And, and I mean, I don't forgive me. I didn't dig into the analytics, but my eyes say watching him through the playoffs, like he's a game defender, like he'll get down. Um, you know, he can knock down, he can knock down open jump shots. And, you know, he uniquely comes from a situation in Boston where you did have two guys and at times it was iso ball ish. Um, and although he fell out of the rotation, like he's he's familiar with that to some degree. So, you know, I think it's a great fit. And then you I I mean, I'm not here to grade the trade or anything like that, but for what for what you had to give up to to acquire that, like I thought it was a great move for Dallas. I like it for Dallas. This 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 makes them better than what they were last week. This roster still has a lot of work that it needs to be done, particularly in the front court, especially in the Western Conference where you have to play against Jokic. It's funny because Jokic is the new Shaq. Remember back in the day where, I mean, you know this because you lived it. At a certain point, every team was basically getting a big man to defend Shaq in the Western Conference. And I feel like that's uh, right now what, the Western Conference is doing, it's also in the Eastern Conference, you could say that too, like about Embiid and things like that, but specifically in the Western Conference, teams are gearing up for that, and you need to have a big man to combat the Anthony Davises of the world, right? Or the the Jokic's of the world. So with that being said, the Mavs still have a long way to go to round out for a championship roster. It seems though to 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 reach that goal, it's going to take a couple of years, right? Like maybe like get lucky on a trade deadline or something like that. So when I think about that, it all goes back to one person, which is Luka Doncic and his patience. Mm-hmm. How do you continue to? You're you're Nico Harrison right now. You're a friend of the show. How are you per, pursuing that rebuild, right? Because you're going to need to. It's it's a rebuild essentially. You have your two guards but the roster is by no means rounded out into championship form. Because when I look at this roster, I still see it playing. And if you succeed at best, I think this is all about your relationship with Luca. Every relationship, excuse me, every relationship should have a healthy level of communication. And I say that because there does, there does have to be a little bit of a realistic expectation from, from, from Luca's camp as you, as you go through this process. And you just have to make sure that any type of talent, like a Luca, what is is on board and understands what's taking place and understands that you won't, you know, spare any cost or leave any rock unturned to try to get him closer to his ultimate goal, which is to win a championship. And so, you know, as things present themselves, if if it's available to us and it's something that we can strike, we will. Um, if if it doesn't and it requires us, you know, maybe being a, a formidable team this year as we construct this roster, but really opening the window next year. Then, then, then he, you have to have expressed that to him, and he's got to see that any move you could have made along the way, you you've earnestly tried to pursue that, and and it just may take another year. Can you dig what I'm saying? But like the communication and the lines of communication, those channels have to be wide open. Luca has to be not in the loop in terms of making deals or telling you who he wants, etc. Like I'm not, I'm not proposing that, but I but has to know that we are 
actively and 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 very impatiently searching out options that can help us get you and Kyrie to where you guys want to go. How much pressure is associated with that, right? Because like the only, the the person that I always see is an app comparison to Luca every single time that we talk about him is LeBron James, right? And we all know the inherent pressure that a talent like that, you know, requ- requires you to have as a front office and. How do you, because there's two sides of that coin, right? There was the, mm-hmm. there's the, there's the, I feel like there's the pre-LeBron era, right? Uh, or the pre, the pre-decision era of LeBron's career where guys are, or where front offices are just trying to like, hey, we traded for this person. Hey, we got an aging shack because we, you know, that, that seems to be the thing right now. And where there's no, it doesn't feel like there's intentionality other than it, other than to say, hey, we got these guys on paper. See, LeBron, we're, wor- we're working hard for you. And then there's the post-decision uh, LeBron, which is David Griffin uh, making a lot of intentional moves. You know, you get Timothy, you trade for Timothy Mozgov, right? You get a J.R. Yep. Smith. You get an Iman Shumpert. These are all intentional moves for to see a team in the finals and how you're going to play for those. What are the, what are the, what is that, what are those types of, those types of uh, outlooks say about each type of front office and how do you become the Griff front office where you are a bit more patient um, and you are a bit more intentional in the moves that you make? What has to go, what goes into each type of front office philosophy? Well, I think a lot of that is the stability of the front office and the relationship that that front office has with ownership, the support they get, you know, to some degree, whether or not that front office is really, I mean, excuse me, that ownership group is really hands-on, and they're in there in a, on a day to day trying to, uh, you know, trying to pull strings themselves or if they'll allow that front office to kind of do their job, express their vision, you know, explain the roadmap of getting from from here to there and then be allowed to kind of execute that. Like having having the full faith of an ownership group helps in that regard. Um, but I think what you said about Griff, whenever you have whenever you have pieces like Luca and and Kyrie or or LeBron. Or like a Kevin Durant. We're talking about guys that can go out and win you X amount of games on their own, right? Like just their talent is is, is that whenever you have those type of guys, it you have to be intentional about the roster build. Like you can't just be going out there throwing shit at the wall. Like you fi- you find yourself in a window of time where you think you can you can get this done. Like because you have one of the ten best players on the planet, you've paired them with another one, and so you're in a window. Whether whether realistically, like we think we can win it this year or not, or that's a two-year play, like we're in a window. And so finding the pieces around the edges, like Seth Seth Curry, a good piece, um, you know, bringing Dwight Powell back, a good piece. Like you're, you're just trying to, you're plugging these holes, man. You're looking around um, and you're trying to figure out maybe we can't find the true answer to Nikola Jokic defensively. Right. Like maybe maybe that's that's unrealistic for us, given our our cap situation and our roster construction. But um, let's get as close as we can to that. And maybe there's something that we can throw out there that that, you know, analytically speaking, Nicholas struggled with, whether whether it be his offensive production or maybe, you know, we shift into a gear where we see the the nuggets and we've got Kyrie and we've got Luca. And then there's this weird piece that nobody knows that Nicholas just doesn't play well against defensively so we become this offensive weaponized team whenever we play Denver like I'm just kind of going off the cusp here but you got to be really creative 
especially when you've got, you know, uh, the Lucas, the Kyries, you don't have a ton of wiggle room and you've got to put pieces around them, but you are always in that mode when you have players of that ilk. It's just, you know, we've got to be intentionally searching for answers to what's in our conference, what we think can, you know, accentuate what they do and, and, and really protect them in some areas because we all know, like defensively, you know, you, you touched on the interior defensively, but you know, even out there on the perimeter, finding a guy that can go out there and, and say, hey, Luca, you don't have to guard him tonight, bro. Like that, you, we're not going to put that on you. Or, hey, Kyrie, th- this player is versatile enough that if Luca doesn't have the matchup and Kyrie does, Ky- you're going to let, you're going to let him guard whoever Kyrie's got to get. Like that's a, those are important things. And, you know, not to get super long winded, but on those 01 teams I played on, that's why Larry Brown was always looking for big guards. It's part of the reason I was able to come in on a 10 day. There were way better offensive players than me sitting around in the in the CBA or USBL, whatever league you want to cite. But I was six five, um, and I was defensive minded. And those teams were looking for big guards to 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 play next to AI, so that he could play the one on defense and the one. Even though I didn't turn into a one, but the the Aaron McKees, the the Eric Snows. Than myself, so like we might be able to handle the ball on one end on offense, let an Allen play off the ball, but we had the flexibility and the size to bump over to the two and guard the two, and that's what you—that was the game plan of the Sixers at the time to pair with AI. My question to you to start talking about the guard play on the on the um, Dallas Mavericks, and I want to get into the question that I just asked you maybe a couple of minutes ago about uh about Jokic and just like now he's one of those players that's the 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 middle of the orbit of a conference and by extension a league. We've seen history kind of sh- show us that a lot of teams are just followers in that instance of like you'll we have to we're working really hard just to maintain. So we can guard this person. Part of me asks, and this is just a person like, you know, I, I obviously watched basketball a lot, never played the game. But this is just a question that I have. Like, how come someone doesn't zag as opposed to like zigging? Like if somebody, if I see a Jokic, why don't I just try to like make my team go small or try to instead of trying to carbon copy a, whatever secret sauce that the Denver Nuggets have? And create my own secret sauce. Like why, why, why do we as a league always tend to follow the trend of like, even like the, the, um, and I get it, I guess from the, uh, from the Sixers standpoint in 01, right? Like you guys had t- finals aspirations. If you guys could just like stop Shaq, which is a very tall task, obviously, right? If you guys could just have a defender that can stop Shaq, you guys would have a better chance to winning, but by a consequence, and this is just outside looking in, it looks like you're already having yourself on your heels because you're already working at a disadvantage because your whole thing is to stop one guy, whereas opposed to the team could just, you could play as a team for them to stop you. You get what I'm saying? Like, that's just, that's the the question I always face when teams are always trying to chase a, what another team is doing, um, like a Jokic or, or an AD, like, oh, we have to combat this instead of being like, nah, Lakers going to play us. The the Nuggets right. are going to play us and are and mess mismatch to us. It's a it's a good question. Uh, it's got a lot of parts to it. So let me try to parse my way through it. First of all, when that wins, you know the the knee jerk is typically to the to to the team that's that's winning, right? And is it's not you know it's 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 to the team that produces. Like once Golden State once once Golden State started winning with the style kind of that that our our Suns teams played with, you know what I mean? Then it was like, oh shit, we gotta, we have to change the rot because they're winning. So we have to change 
to try to stop that. So I say that to say, like, if Jokic and them, if they didn't win a championship, you see way less knee jerk to that, right? But that they're the king. So, you know, if you're trying to dethrone that, you got to have an answer to Jokic. Now, we as a Suns team, um, we did take that approach. Like, all right, let me take it even further back. You talked about the 01 team trying to guard Shaq. Nobody could guard Shaq, right? That that team went out before I even got there. And, and you know, Dikembe Mutombo was defensive player of the year. And stopping Shaq was, was you know, a critical component to being able to knock off the Lakers who, who you know, were the best team in the league for years around that time, right? Like he was just too dominant. But even when you had the defensive player of the year, you couldn't do that. So what the Suns team did, if you'll fast forward like five years later in my career, Shaq was still a bully at times. Yao Ming was a huge like person and, and just a piece to have to deal with. We took that approach that, you, that you're describing, Logan, like, fuck that. We don't have anything that can, no one can deal with that. So it's not like we have anything because there's no one in the league that can deal with it. So guess what? We're just going to push even faster. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to run them off the court. And at least while I was in Phoenix, we had huge success playing against, you know, um, Shaq and, and, and Yao Ming. We even had clips of Yao Ming pregame when we would play them. Mike D'Antoni would like to show us a highlight reel kind of before we went out to the court, get everybody in the right mind. Um, there would be clips of Yao sprinting to get to a free throw line. And by the time he got to that free throw line, just dropping his head, turning and sprinting until he got to the three point line on the other end and then turning and dropping his head and sprinting to the other three points. So he was just caught in the middle. And that was our approach. The problem with it was while it worked against those teams, ultimately we, you know, circumstances were what they were and we didn't win a championship. So there were still teams out there that, that, you know, it was a novelty thing at that point, right? It didn't produce. Like the knock on us was it was cool for the regular season, but it wasn't going to win championships. And then Golden State won championships doing it. I, I always, I think I always wanted to ask you this and also ask like, and maybe I've asked you this variation of a question, but like, how did it feel for you to see whatever your style was, this not a seven seconds or less? And I don't know how to like say what it was in Golden State, maybe perfected or maybe just had different players in that system. But like, how does it feel to you guys or like you guys were probably to see them take that next step with it? Right. How does that feel for you as as one of the originators and part of one of the the, the teams that originated that a, a variation of that style? Right. Because, you know, the, 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 the Warriors also have the bits of the triangle and also like it has as bits of running gun. It has a lot of those different sure. things, but they do pr- they do prioritize pace, which is something that, you know, you guys perfected. Uh, how did it feel to see like the Warriors kind of take it and run with it in a different way? When you guys just, it only got to a certain point with you guys. I thought it was pretty cool. First of all, there were teams doing it before we did it. Like there, but it wasn't like a universally accepted way to play. You see teams pop up that said, Hey, we're going to do it like this and score a bunch of points and be really hard to guard. And then, and then they would kind of go away as that coach, you know, didn't win a championship and he was recycled. That style of play would, would disappear for a while. And then I just got blessed to play with, with Mike. Um, when we were doing it, I, I thought it was really cool. And I don't go to say it was not a carbon copy of what we did. They had, you know, they got more hall of famers than us. Like they were, they were a better team and there were way more nuances to, to what they did offensively. It wasn't just go, go, go. Um, I think they were better defensively at times. Um, so, so, you know, there were reasons why they won, but I think the nuts and bolts of it and the, 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 the philosophy behind it, 
was was similar and i thought it was really cool it was kind of a vindication i always fell for mike because for whatever it's worth like you know i ride with my guys and mike's my guy and i defend him sure there's some shortcomings and we and and we didn't get over the hump but i mean ask ask a lot ask 90 percent of the teams that we played or that the Suns played during those years how they felt going into the into a game and a lot of them would tell you like that was going to be rough just because they, it wasn't our talent. It wasn't, it was just the style of play was catching so many people off guard. And if you couldn't slow us down, you know, and, and really, really grind us out, we were just better at that than you were. We were built to do it more than other teams. We practiced like that. And so, you know, I always felt that it was sort of a vindication for Mike. So I was happy, you know, to golden state. Plus I like a lot of those dudes. It was one of the things that was uh, was just noteworthy. And I remember when I was covering uh, the dubs in, like, especially 18 and 19, if you want to talk about vindication, you see the Warriors playing the Houston Rockets, right? You're literally seeing those styles basically crash coursing into each other. And I yeah. feel like, and I, I do want to talk about Mike D'Antoni, and this is just, this is this is the summer real ones, guys. We're, we just go off on tangents here. Mike D'Antoni one of the greatest coaches of all time, like bar none. And I think that he doesn't get that look because of the defensive part of the, the job. But like when you see when he has a, uh, when he has a, a, a team that fits his style, like I keep thinking about Houston. I think we're going to go look back and see, and he might not get the credit right now, but for what he did for James Harden's career, it's pretty good. I mean, he made oh, yeah. James, when he turned James into a point guard for those first few years, and 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 James was averaging double digit assists for the first time in his career, and he was he could be a volume shooter. He could basically be like he could be Manu and Nash at the same time in that offense. And it, that Houston offense was such a fun offense to watch. I think like 17, 16, 17 was a fun one because that's when it was the first year. But then when they got Chris Paul and they could play off of James and that, those were really fun teams. And the only the only thing that they just went into, they just lost to a better team. That was the only slight against those Houston Rockets teams. And I think that was a big credit to Mike D'Antoni. Yeah, I think you, I mean, obviously James Harden, but, but Mike has to get a lot of... Uh credit for that. I think when you're talking about greatest coaches of all time, I mean, you have to factor in the defensive side of the ball, right? Like that's only fair. And, yeah. you know, we just, we were so preoccupied with offense. It's not like we didn't have defensive strategies or we didn't do defensive stuff, but we were just, we just, if, if we had more guys that were conscientious defenders, guys that really cared about that side of the ball, like, I think we could have gotten away with it. But we just had a roster where certain guys just didn't care enough on that end. And so our lack of attention to it would bite us in the ass at, at the worst, you know, at the worst times. But let's get back to Mike. Mike, a couple things about Mike. Mike didn't, Mike was never afraid to say, yeah, I don't give a shit about conventional, like, wisdom or opinion. I don't care. Now, you would think that, you know, most coaches in the NBA, if you've achieved that level of success and you're coaching your own franchise and you you do whatever the fuck you want, most of them would subscribe to that. Not true. A lot of them are like stuck in like, hey, man, this is out, this is the way we play. This is the way the league plays. This is the way it's always been. Like, at least when I was around, right? Like, this is the way it needs to be done. And Mike it's didn't still do like that. that. So, well, so it gave it gave him, I don't, I don't doubt that. It gave him a level of freedom 
to kind of explore and and try to figure things out and really take a team that could look completely different from one year to the next and and he play a different style because of that right he was able to kind of mold his offense was malleable in a way that he was able to kind of shape it to whatever talent he had right he was excellent with pgs i mean steve you know you, you talk about james harden fucking lynn sanity playing in his i was offense. just about to say yep you know like he was great with pgs and and the other thing that i always thought mike was great at was was seeing something in you in his in his scheme that you couldn't see right like him looking at his scheme and saying man, Logan would fit in great with that. Or like Raja, even though he doesn't shoot any threes in in Utah, man, he'll fit great in this. Or Boris Diaw, even though Mike Woodson hates him and he can't get on the court in Atlanta, he would be, you know, here's what I could do with him in our offense. And I, I probably should give the Colangelo some credit for that too because it probably wasn't just Mike shopping for the ingredients. Like they had a, a really good, you know, kind of collaborative you know, relationship in terms of identifying talent and figuring out what would fit. But Mike did that better. So I'm, I tell this story all the time when he sat me down and was like, hey, you're gonna have to shoot 300 threes. And I looked at that man, we were at Mastro's. I would look at him like, you know, my wife was sitting on the other end with the other wives chatting it up and I was sitting right next to Mike. And this was like, we had leaned back and he said the shit to me. And I looked around like, is anybody fucking hear him? He's crazy. And he looked at me like dead ass serious. Like, no, you're going and you're going to do it. And you're going to be successful at doing it. And that's going to help our team be better. And so he saw that before I even thought it was possible. And, you know, I talk about this a lot, man. And especially as it pertains to shooters, like, forgive me, I'm in a little bit of a bag right now, Logan. We talked about Matisse Thibel before we came on the pod, right? Because mm. we were talking about Dallas. Yes, we did. Um, shooting specifically is so mental. It's so, it's so mental. I mean, they're, you know, you'll have guys tell you, yeah, like this got to be like this and you got to have that elbow here and you got to fuck all of that. Like, sure. Let that like, shit there's fly. Some, there are some things mechanically that you would ideally like to happen, right? And might give you a better chance to be successful um, um, consistently. But look at, look at some of the, like, look at Reggie Miller's jump shot. No, here's that another thing, crazy looking. The greatest shooter of all time, greatest shooter of all time, his shot is damn near a push shot and it would not be taught. It would it's, not be taught. It's right. basically Great a point. push shot. So, so, so Mike, I only say all that to say that, that Mike seeing something in you that you didn't necessarily see and convincing you that, that that was possible in some cases or in other cases, freeing you up to let go of the baggage that other people had created for you. See, I came with a lot of baggage, bro. I came to Mike with a lot of baggage, a lot of scars from people telling me I couldn't or I shouldn't or I can't. And that shit, even as a 23 year old, 24 year old at that point, probably 25 year old, that those, those are like, it's hard to heal from that shit. Like, but Mike went about not just me, but Boris and other people that would come in that had these type of like restrictions put on them in places. And he just made you feel like in, empowered. And, and that was the genius of Mike. I will always say that he just made you, if you didn't believe he was going to make you believe by the end of that shit. He, he just freed you up to to hoop, you know? That's what's up. We were talking about uh, Matisse Steibel, but I think, like, pre-pod, but I think that, like, it's a bigger conversation to be had, and I want to have it really quickly. Just how, how not how easy it is, but how to make a, we were talking about how to make $100 million in the NBA. 
basically, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And not necessarily, but like... Don't say easy. It's I'm not saying easy. It's hard as hell. But the key, I think pre-pod, we were talking about the key to making $100 million is playing defense and just developing that shot. That will make you $100 million in the NBA in today's league, right? My question to you, Raja, is... And I think it's good for the league because we all, you know, how we are in Romans. We want everybody to get paid and get their bread mm-hmm. and like and do that. How do you feel about? Is that how it kind of always has been in the league? It's basically just finding a role, right? Or like, is it different? Is it is it is it is it a thing where, um, it's just not easy, but it's like okay, I do these two things. I'm here to get my bread, and that's what that is. Or is it like, no, this is what the league needs, and this is what I need to be in service of it, and this is how we push the league forward. Where do, how do you see that? Because I, I, how do you how do you see all of that basically building on the the uh, conversation we had in pre pod? The money that the cats are making now is it's it's un, un, really unbelievable, and. I think that's pretty cool. And it's only getting higher. We're about to have a TV deal that's going to give us give you're going to you think these numbers are ridiculous. Wait till the new TV deal. Facts. There was some older head than me that when I <laughs> when I signed a contract was like, they gave that motherfucker that like there was somebody doing that. Right. And I was always acutely like kind of in tune to that. And I, I was like, I'm never I mean, like, I mean, good for good for them. Like, that's that's pretty dope. And as far as you know, there are different ways to making a hundred million dollars in the league, but, but what, you know, one of the, you have to be self-aware. You have to know who you are, what, you know, what level y- you kind of are slotted into with, with all of your skill sets, right? Like there, everyone can create plays in the NBA, but what tier of play creator are you? Are you a, like a seven out of 10? Well, fine. Never be your job in the NBA. So like, we might as well like scrap that. Like, you know what I mean? Put that on a back burner and let's figure out like what parts of my game translate um, to winning and 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 kind of supporting the, the guys that are the one and the two level play creators. So what, what can I add to this mix? And the guys that have longevity and it's not always money. People get there are plenty of people to get bags that don't deserve bags. Trust me. There are plenty of people in every walk of like. Every, every, every walk, walk of, of life. Dog. So it doesn't always correlate, but the guys that have longevity doing it and more often than not are, are, are rewarded because of it. Figure that out. Like, Hey man. And I, and I did, it took me a while. I told you defend people, people told me to defend. You'll be fine. Just defend, just fucking defend, just defend, just defend. And I went from good team to good team, just defending. But guess what? Never getting paid. Never ever getting and paid. And ultimately, the in the league, it's a job. Ultimately, the goal is to get paid and support your family. Like that's the. It's just like any other job. Yeah, fuck that. I mean, I love basketball, but like, you know, I mean, everybody else. That's is why. Paid. Shout out Bruce Brown <laughs> got it. Got the bag in Indiana when he could have got it like a lesser bag in Los Angeles to go. No, get that bag, bro. Go get that fuck, Indiana bag. Fuck that. Nah, fuck that. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Uh, nah, man, miss me with that shit, bro. Anybody want to hop on the pod and argue that shit with me? Come on with it. But, but, um, you know who has the luxury of doing that? Motherfuckers that already got their bag. Yeah, cats that came in in the first round and secured large bags. Probably, probably had another bag, and now you know you're equating them with a, a journeyman, Bruce Brown, and and telling Bruce Brown he needs to take less. Nah, hey, hey, nah. you know who who we're talking about? Friend of the show, Russell Westbrook. 
who just got that eight mil. But what people don't know is that he got the buyout from such and such and the contract from other, other draw. And like, you know, the revenales Ta- are revenaling. <laughs> T- tally up his career earnings and, and, and good for him. He's at a point in his career, both financially and, and like um, in terms of accomplishments and achievements where he can do that. But Bruce Brown wasn't at that spot. So anybody, I mean, I haven't seen it, but if anybody were to make their mouth up to say something crazy about Bruce Brown, Come on the like pod, Raja has something to say to you. Invitation is always open, but I digress. Let me get back to what I was saying. You have to figure out as a young me, as a young Matisse Thibel, as a young whoever who, who's figured out, I got this one thing that I can do at a super high level that is really coveted, right? Like I can defend or, you know, like let's say I can rebound my ass off, but you know, that's just one facet of my game. Like you have to usually round it out with something else. And the, the, the best way to do it in today's NBA, because there's such a premium on it, is to be able to shoot the ball, to be able to toe that line, find yourself a nice spot while pick and roll is taking place or or whatever's happening and, and catch and shoot. And, you know, you have to then, what I would do is I'd hire shooting coaches. Like I was always able to shoot. I had just been, again, scarred. I had had enough people tell me I couldn't do it. And I had had just enough unsuccessful tries at it to maybe let that disbelief creep into my psyche and so some of those coaches started really becoming part of me, like in a way that was negative. And I had to shoot that shit out of me. I had to shoot those voices out. Like I watched that shit go in the hole so many times that I didn't hear that voice telling me I couldn't shoot it no more. I didn't hear a motherfucker say no every time I go up to shoot because I shot it out at his ass. He couldn't, that wasn't going to affect me anymore. And so that's Matisse Thibels of the world. Like that's what you do. You say, okay, I got this offensive, I mean, this defensive skill set that everyone wants but maybe not high level like free agency money. Let me pair that with something else. And it's probably not going to be playmaking and shit. It's going to be shooting the ball. You sound like such a writer, bud. You sound like a writer. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Bro. Okay. <laughs> I said like, dog, when I was uh when I was coming up, man, just the inner doubt is basically the common thread is what I see right now, right? Just the inner doubt of it's if it's going to happen or if it's going to pop. Because like it's interesting, like you don't know, you don't know, right, Raja, when you're 23, that you're going to be sitting here doing a podcast after having a fucking illustrious career, right? Or And being able to provide for your family. You don't know that 20 years ago. Like, there's just that inner doubt. Like, with, when the, with the writer thing, it's like, damn, do you have the right editors with you? Do you have the right people? Like, there's some people, like, I remember when I was in the newspaper game, and it's just like, especially like the newspaper I was at you get into the space where they are prioritizing other analytics that you're not like your skill set, your, your skill set just isn't there to the, for the things that they say that they want. I'm not going to say all newspapers, but the place that I was in the sports department that I was at, um, you get into a position where it's just like a bad team where there are different goals and changing goals and it's just not right, the right culture and, you know, the, the, the money isn't there. So you get into this position where you're doing good things and that the other people are seeing outwardly. But when you're at but when you go to your bosses and you go to these types of places, it's you're not getting the affirmation that you feel you deserve. Like I'm sure you've gone through that with bad teams and things like that. And you're working and that, and because when that happens, doubt creeps in. And, sure. um, you know, when you're talking about, 
you got to shoot your way out of it. Like, you know, as writers, when you're with these in these these different types of spaces, you got to write your way out of it. You have to figure it out to figure out how your prose is going to be good if you care. Right. Because a lot of people just like in, in the journalism profession, just like in the basketball profession, there's a lot of people that just inherently don't care. Um, but it is tough to get to that point. So when you were talking about that, it's like, yeah, man, there's a commonality there to you got to get to a point and it takes a lot of mental toughness. Right. Because like I always marvel at you because it's like, fuck, man, I don't know how I, I'm in. I'm in a I'm in a country. I don't like you. You tell all the stories. You're in a country you don't know, know about. You're in a league that that you're just trying to get somewhere. We talk about this with Juan all the time. You're trying to get to a point and you're already behind the eight ball because you didn't get drafted. You didn't get to this point, but you have to work to extra to get into there. And a lot of doubt creeps into that point because shit, it's the hardest route. There's a lot of mental toughness. So basically all the way to say like, I respect your journey, G, is all I'm saying. Well, no, I appreciate that. And you know, there's a lot of respect for yours as well. I just, I, you know, not to it turn It takes a lot of fortitude the- to get into this league and to be and to stick. I don't it think it's a lot of really release. Oh, it takes a lot of things, man. And in my case, it was luck. It was, it was, there was some fortitude. Um, there were some, like some people in, in, in my world that they were able to heal me. Like when I left Philly, I was broken. Like mm. I love Larry Brown, but he, like, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. Like emotionally. Right. And the pressure of, you know, where that team was and who was on it and the expectations of it and of me. And when I couldn't live up to that, like it, 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 it became very tough for me my second year there. Like my relationship was not great uh, with with coach, and you know he was an old an old school kind of coach. Like and you know I'd have nightmares about that shit, bro. I'd be driving home wondering, like, yo, dog, you probably just <laughs> stop doing this shit. Like this, I no real talk. No, I, I feel went, you. I, I feel listen, you. I'm laughing because I feel you. <laughs> I I, t- I tell this story to my close family and friends. Like I'd be in Spain, you know, just trying to figure out how to get out of a fucking garage because they dropped me off like last night at this flat and we're like, hey, we'll see you tomorrow at practice. And I'm in this Peugeot in the morning stuck in the garage because ain't nobody told me how to get out of the fucking garage, right? And Damn, so I show, up, I show up in practice and, uh, <laughs> you know, I shit you not. Like the first, the first play, the ball swung to me like, I don't know, five minutes into practice or some shit like that. And I shoot a shot and miss it. And I could have swore Larry Brown was yelling at me. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? This motherfucker followed me to Spain. He like, lived you know, in your I head. Was, I was shell shocked, bro. Yes, he was. He would. He had. He had gotten into me like that. And so, you know, I, I just had some. Like, I just wasn't. I wasn't ready. Now, in my defense, I had been cut multiple times, and I didn't quit. I kept coming back. Like, I was stupid enough to keep showing up and trying. Yeah. But you know, it had started to wear on me. It got to the point, like probably, my, probably the weirdest kind of low that I hit was when I knew I something had to change was I was in Dallas and you know, this was, there was this weird thing. There were really no shots to be had, but Nelly wanted you to, you know, shoot. Cause you, you were a liability. If you, if they could sag off of you and guard Dirk and, and Steve and all these people. Right. And so, yeah. but I was only really playing half of the games. I had been in Spain to start the season. They called me back and then they're like, you're going to start half the games. And then half of them were not even going to play you. So for a young player that's got like this shit going on, I'm like, what? Do you like me? Do you not like me? Like, I don't even know. Yeah. Like my contract wasn't guaranteed until January like 15th. 
we were in New Orleans. Like, I remember sitting in the dark in the New Orleans hotel room, just looking at the clock, like hoping that that shit was going to go hard at 12, you know, at, at whatever time my contract went hard. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, fuck, we dodged another bullet. So then when you're telling me the next night, hey, you got to shoot that shot. And I still hear Larry Brown telling me, hey, bro, don't shoot that shot. Like, I'm yeah. like, conflicted. So we have a practice. Avery Johnson is my guy. I love the general. The sure. general ran a practice for us, right? N Nelly and, and, uh, and company, you know, Del Harris, like all those dudes were like going to do something. So general ran a practice. So, <laughs> hey, bro, this shit was tough, bro. This shit almost, Gen general ran, we were running scripted offense. We were going down and back, down and back, down and back. So six sets, right? And pre-practice, he ran a tape session. And on the tape session, he found a clip of me not shooting a shot that I should shoot. And so general went, he went in on me. That's right. Probably, I mean, look, right thing to do, probably. Um, he made me in front of the whole team. He said, every one of these sets. Now, mind you, I'm out there with Dirk, Mike Finley, Steve Nash, and probably like Rafe LaFrance or somebody like that. Like, like a, a crazy four and me. Every time down the court, Raja Bell is going to shoot the ball. He made me, bro, I was so like, it was, I could have been broken. Like I could have been broken at that point because that shit was embarrassing. There was a lot of shit that went into that. And so that was the year where I was like, look, man, you got to figure some shit out because you can't keep existing like this, dog. Like we, it, it just won't, not only won't it be fruitful for you, but like it's going to drive you nuts. Like you're going to lose your shit because you've got to pair something else with that or or you're always going to be stuck in this place where, where you know, there is some value just enough for them to want to play you. And then there's not enough value for them to be satisfied. And that's a fucked up limbo to be in, you know? And it's crazy because that probably changed your career. You it know? did. No, I'm, it, and I'm not bitching about it. I just, no, 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 I no, wasn't no, no. tough enough. I, I feel that. No, like, because those are the breaks. Those are the breaks. I remember, and we're just telling story time. We're going to get to a segment in a second that we're, we're, that we're excited for. But... I remember the summer of 2017 and these are the breaks, right? Like where you either quit or you just, you go one last push and that's what it is. Right. I remember 2017, I was at uh Laney junior college in Oakland. Right. And you know, like my grades weren't great because just of circumstances, right? Like I just, I couldn't do it. I was also like interning a lot but my grades just weren't doing it because I was ever, I was one of those kids that was just in the field all the time. Like I wasn't in class because I was in the field doing internships and doing all these things. And um, it got to a point where like life was like like lifing and I, I couldn't either I was going to make this dream happen or I wasn't. And I remember um, I got into uh, shout out to the Sports Journalism Institute, but I got into the Sports Journalism Institute. It's a it's a uh, it's a program that is like. Marcus Thompson's a part of it. The legacy, Candace Buckner, Malika Andrews has been in it as well. Um, mm -hmm. But I got that after like trying for like three years straight, right? And as soon and I got it, and they they place you in these internships or whatever, right? And they placed me in Memphis. My first day in Memphis, my fucking car breaks down, bro. Mm -hmm. Right? Fix that. We figure it out over that summer. I can't get a job. Because I am still in school and I don't have a degree, right? And then we get to that fall and, like, it's getting to a point where it's like, bro, if this shit doesn't hit, I got to find another profession. 
And then like I got a call like that fall. And it was from that newspaper that I was talking about that I do got a lot of love for. It just was a newspaper at the point. And they get a call, be like, do you want to cover the Golden State Warriors? And I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh. And I was like, I promise you, if it got to the to the to the winter, probably was gonna quit. If it got to winter 2017, I probably was gonna quit and like yep. figure out something else in life. And that shit happened. And I was like, well, free this college stuff. I'm about to go like. I'm about to, this is a life-changing thing. But those are the things that you kind of have to do. Like, it doesn't matter the MBA or if it's like journalism or any profession. The guess the message of this podcast is, bro, you got to keep pushing, bro. Because there's no other, there's no other way to, to get to where you want to be unless you just keep your foot on the gas. That's absolutely right. And in the moment, it's hard to see that those situations of mine that I described where, where, you don't think you're ready for them, like, and and you, you don't see a way out of it. Like, th- they're there for a reason. Like, without without those experiences, without Larry Brown in my head, like, and haunting me in Spain, and without, you know, like, you know, Avery, and I love Avery. Without without that, like, one of the most embarrassing moments in my NBA career, like, uh, amongst my teammates. Without that, like, I don't figure out, hey, bro, like. You you don't want to you don't want to be that like let's figure out something else to do do you know what I mean so all of that is for a reason it's hard to see it when you're in the midst of it it doesn't always feel great but it it winds up making you who you are and all of that is part of your your ultimate journey do you know what I mean and so it, it doesn't give people right in the midst of it a lot of solace like because it's hard dog you remember that like that time you remember that shit i remember oh my it. goodness like bro you, don't you, don't you got the pit shit. in your stomach where you're like bro i can't go back like that's why every miss fucking sucks for you right because every miss means i'm i'm gonna go back to the cba I, absolutely <laughs> right like the, every miss means like i'm gonna go back to oakland and go back to laney you feel me like that's that's what you're thinking every time you make a mistake that and and so I, I i really appreciate you saying that because this brings it full circle for me in the conversation because that's why mike d'antoni will like Demo, he could call me right now and ask me to do something. I, him or Jerry Sloan, I'll go right now. No, nope. God, Jerry's not with us. But but the point is, you know, having someone um, that sees you for the place that you're in, like, and what you need emotionally, and having that support in those moments is critical. No, yep. no, ba- no bashment on the people who can't see it, but I just needed, like, I needed healing. You know what I mean? And those dudes were there. And they did it, whether they said, hey, he needs it or not, or this is just my personality. And so, you know, I'm going to do it. But it was the right time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that it, like coaching, that's so much a coaching, right? Like, and I admittedly, you think I'd be great at it. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not great at it. Understanding that like, yo, Ty Bell needs to be approached like this because he, he like his last situation was fucked up. So I can't be like as abrasive and as demonstrative and as, as forceful with him. What, while like Zen bell, my other son, like, you know, I can get in it, you know, but you have to different people, you know, require different stimuli and require different type of interactions and to get the best out of players, um, figuring that out on a, on a, on a human level and being able to push their buttons. That's the name of the game. Like X's yeah. and O's are too, but that's a huge part of it, especially at the pro level is like, can I get the most out of Logan? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and here's how I do it. And the answer is not the same for Raj, but here's how I do it with him. For sure. In this next segment, we're going to basically see the fruits of your labor, sir. 
This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity, the unplanned, the unexpected, an inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue, a surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland, watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. Kitty Kerm out of the motherfucking cut to hold us down. Um, this is a segment where we've been talking about this segment for a while that we're going to do. Um, Kerm brought it to my attention. It's the top five songs with Raja Bell lyrics in them or Raja Bell adjacent lyrics in them. Um, mm. And we're going to get your take mm. on these. Kiggity Kerm, take it away. Kerm, wait, before we yes. go, can I just please don't judge if I don't, if I don't know the song, right? Like we, we just, I didn't know any of these songs, Roger. Okay. I had no idea. None of these songs. I was definitely in the cut for some of these songs. There were definitely a couple, a couple ones, a couple songs that weren't on Spotify. Um, you know, so, uh, but let's do it. So first we'll start off with some, uh, Jack Harlow. Get bread nonstop. Know my name. Ring a bell like Raja from the city, like Rondo Raja, but I'm from the white side, like Hassan. Okay. Okay. Biggest rapper in the game. Hold yeah, around no, down. One, I know that one. I know that one. That's tough. That's tough. And, how, uh, how, quick question before we go to the next one. How did you, which one of your kids brought it to your attention that you were in the song? And mm. what, and what were your reaction? How were you, how did you find out about this one? Because it's a pretty question. big deal. It's a good question. And this was a couple years ago, right? So like this would have been. Mm, was it Ty Bell or Dia Bell? It was, it might've been the two of them together. They might've found out like together and brought it and brought it to me. And I wasn't super familiar with Jack Harlow at the time. Like, again, this is a few years ago. So, um, I had to look it up and then it kind of snowballed. So once they brought it to me, a lot of people brought it to me. And, um, yeah, that one's a, that one's a good one, man. That was a good Did one. Did you Shout feel, out. cause I, I'll, I'm not a dad yet. Um, but Everything I hear from like dads or parents is like their kids don't think there's they don't feel like they're cool. You know what I mean? I felt like yeah. in that one, 
you got, did you get a little cool points? Was it like, okay, I'm a cool dad for like a week right now. Like they fuck with me now. Like, yeah, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to, I'm going to Jack Harlow song. Yeah. Oh, 100%, bro. That was, that was street cred all day, man. Like I'm, I, I live in a generation of kid that, uh, doesn't know I played in the NBA. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like my sons and their friends are at an age where they wouldn't remember that. So I get no, I get, I get no kind of like recognition for having been a former athlete, unless those kids' parents are like, Hey man, you know, he played in the NBA. So if your name pops up in a song like that, I mean, bro, I was, I had, I, I was getting motherfuckers to take the trash out. Like I had all kind of wow. equity in the crib, bro. <laughs> get those dishes, dog. I was on yeah, it. Yeah, I leveraged yeah. that for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. At first it was dad schmad. And now it's like, dad is rad. <laughs> <laughs> he was a big so I read about when I heard the song like I had to I checked in like why why would you know not not for nothing but like how you gonna pick my name out maybe it just rhymes you were looking for but he was a Suns fan I guess growing up he said so I read that somewhere that's what's up that's what's up what we got next Kerm yeah. we, we can't are we, are we what's the I'm scared of the next one because that's like it's pretty big what's yeah, the, yeah leave that one there gets, that's as big as it gets all the other okay. ones, we're just going downhill from here but next is uh, <laughs> from uh, honestly one of my favorite rappers ever Mick Jenkins he was uh, featuring on the song Pirates by Sertsy here we go I be Drew Brees with the knowledge I've arrived by Kobe system shooter keep a rise out bail with me bear with me grow with me share with me okay well, well, let me hear that again. Can we get that one again? Let's say it one more you. time. I be Drew Brees with the knowledge I've arrived by. Kobe system shooter, keep it Raja. Bail with me, bear with me, grow with me, share with me. Yo, that was really, that was, you got to put your Jansport on, your backpack and your Tims. This goes back to your 90s days, right? Like you got to yeah. like, there's a lot of, there's a, you're, you're a lot of metaphors. A lot yeah. of metaphors yeah. there, Ra. Kobe sense like shooters, that. keep a Raja. Bell with me. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. kind of fire. Yeah. That's fire. Yeah, that you was fire. Saying? But I, that's fire. The re, I asked for the rewind because I couldn't tell if he was, if he was like, if, if he was, was dissing, a, it, if he was dissing. Yes, what's the Kobe line? But then I heard it keeps the shooters on me like a yeah, that was tough. Tough. What's his name? Uh Mick Jenkins. That's out fire. of Chicago. That's yep, fire. Yep, yep. Okay, okay, Mick Jenkins. Yeah, okay. I, listen. I, it, uh the 2K, the 2K thing. I just got back in 2K, I guess. Like I had this, I, I didn't realize I was out of 2K because I didn't do my like my um what's the process on the 2k shit how does that go how does that work it's the first time i've ever had a chance to ask someone about this how does that work well, i i had never really like when i played ever thought about it like you're just in 2k but i guess once i retired something happened with the collective bargaining agreement where i had to check in with the with my retired players union and then sign off on some sort of like uh uh, uh licensing agreement and i hadn't right. okayed it so i was not in the game and then my so you know, it's like joe schmo number 19 if you work. didn't do that, right? Okay. But I'm back, bitches. And so, like, I've gotten a lot. <laughs> so I've gotten a lot of people, like, you know, the old school. Hey, man, when you were in 2K, I used to, you're back. And so I get to relive it every now hey, and Roger, again. Hey, Roger, bro, I mean? you damn near, I feel like I got to play. I got to get the new 2K. We, I feel like you would be a heater. Like, we could get you, like, fucking 28 from Roger just shooting threes, get you on a hot night on, on 2K, bro. Like, getting well, ass pushing it out to you. Like, I, I think it, you're, the Suns translates to an all-time good 2K team. There was a time. I, I don't think I'm like that right now in 2K, although I haven't played it, full disclosure. I don't know. But there was a time in the middle of it where our Suns teams were hot, where I remember people being like, "Bro, I get forty with you out of like two K six for show, two K six for show." It, it yeah. was a good, it was a good year, and two K seven, you were really good as well. Great vintages, gang, gang. Um, Kerm, what we got? 
Next, we got ASAP 12V. The song's called Adventure Time. Call me A Rock. Ron Sean Bell with 24 shells. Lock it down to scale. I left no trail. <laughs> yeah, Ron. Oh. Play that again. Play that one more time. Play that one more time. Call me A Rock. Ron Sean Bell with 24 shells. Lock it down to scale. I left no trail. Okay. That was hard. That was that this is making me. This is making me blood. I got little tingles, bro. Okay, <laughs> that's tough. I like that. Tough. And it's my style. Yeah, I feel like shooters in the NBA more likely than not, y'all are getting reference for <laughs> for the fact y'all make threes. The gun violence bars. It's 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 kind of out of hand, but the shit. Hot. Hey, no, but it's hey, hot. hey, hey, that's that tough shit. That's that East Coast shit, bro. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that's right up my alley. Except <laughs> Roger, this motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. All right, what we got? What's the next one? Uh, give me one second. We're starting to get to the point where it's like I don't actually like know these artists. I just yep. found the Roger Bell <laughs> references. They some of them still hard though. Don't get it twisted. Yeah. So the next one is "Same by Drago and Bino. Same end by uh, Drago and Bino. Yes. Same end. Kai, give me give me a bleep. Give me a bleep. Try to- <laughs> <laughs> I will give you some game, but you tight as hell. I can't show her anything because she might just tell. Man, with this Glock 19, I feel like Roger Bell. If this ain't built to last, make them jeans frail. <laughs> <laughs> I was slapping this on the beginning. Hey, I was slapping this before the show because they sent me the songs, and I was like, "Oh hey, shit!" That was, oh, was kind of groovy. He was like, "Oh shit!" I like that <laughs> Dude, give me another one. Give me another. Give me that one again. Give me that one again, Kurt. I got you. I got you. I got you. I will give you some game, but you tight as hell. I can't show her anything because she might just tell. Man, with this Glock 19, I feel like Roger Bell. If this ain't built to last, make them jeans frail. <laughs> it sneaks in because you're not expecting it, bro. You're not yeah. expecting it. <laughs> okay. Oh, that, like, yeah, that was. Uh, I rock with it. Look this up. You know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? If you will send me. I'll send you all the songs after. I got you. Uh, what I'm going to do today is in the car with one of my sons. Yes. I'm just going to play song after song. And see if he notices that my name pops up in all them damn songs. That's what I'm gonna yep. do. I'll keep you all posted. Jeez. Hey, be like, oh, you gotta go to him and be like, yo, this hot. This kind of hot. I want to <laughs> listen to this. Uh, what's the next one? <laughs> what's the next uh, one? So this one is, you know, we're we're starting to really get into the crates. Uh, dude's name is Says Batters. I think this is off his uh, mixtape that I found on a random website. Fly, fly, boy, they ain't selling it. I'm hot like the sun. Yeah, Rajay Bellamy. But he Rajay belling it. Yo, you know what that sounded like? You can't say it, Rajay. This is like some like fucking 08 Young Money compilation throwaway beat that he used. And <laughs> dead ass. But I'm very happy that you got a co-sign on this one. Good job, bud. Yeah, like I'm really yeah, happy that I just want to say full disclosure, I'm really happy that we have like five or six songs. Like you don't have to have one dame drop. So I, shout out to you. I'm gonna keep it a buck. Um I really thought that the Jack Harlow song was the only one. So this is this has been fun for me. Like I really did think that was the only one. And you know, if you if anyone who knows me, when when my name popped up in his shit, I was like, why the fuck would he be saying my name? Like why? Yeah. Like what? Yeah, pretty cool though. Pretty tight. What's the <laughs> last? What's the last one, Kerm? Last, last one. This one, I'm, I'm gonna warn y'all now. Now I'm not feeling it, but we gotta play it anyways. Poncho blazing <laughs> ATM. The song is called "The East of the Orient Freestyle Remix." Um, oh. Okay. Yeah, give me there it is. By Jesus, you'll be guided by the demons, the devil, that angel can't save you. Guess what? Just like Roger Bell. 
Hey, I'm gonna just say this. Your cut it off, Kerm. Cut it off. We did it. I just want to say. I just want to say, Kerm. Kerm. I just want to say. Between, I'm confident in saying this. Between the other episode where you got all of our clips, and then you did this, I'm com- I'm confident to say you work too fucking hard. You work too hard. <laughs> This is way too hard. I was this, on YouTube this, like, I don't know about this one, but fuck it. I, I, uh, Man. I, that was great. I appreciate the, the effort. The find was phenomenal. The find was phenomenal. There you go. The find that was, was a great phenomenal. find. Shout out to the person that made it. Um, yep. Shout out to everything. Yep. Oof, that was great. Kerm, that was great. Kerm in his bag. Absolutely bag. Absolute bag. There, Good job. Rara. How do yeah. you feel? Let's see. I think I can... I can officially like have a productive day now man that's what i needed to get over the hump man like i'm i just <laughs> i needed i needed a fill of 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 hearing my name in various rap songs it's what keeps me going i mean i have a rankings real quick before you before we go I have a every ranking, morning and i want to hear it i want to hear this I, I think the 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 first one obviously is jack harlow that's number one right yeah i'm sure, gonna go number sure. two asap 12 the adventure time because i just thought that was just some like New York. Which bars. one was that? That was the New York bar. That was four shells. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, yep. And then the same end was fun because I was dancing. That was just dancing to it. It was just great. Thanks. Uh, it went all downhill from after that. Well, Mick Jenkins. No, Mick Jenkins had a great. He had a great one, but it went. It kind of went downhill from there. Like it was. No, that was. I, right. I appreciate that, man. That's uh, humbling, man. Pretty, pretty cool, man. I'm. I am gonna at least three of those songs I'm playing for, for Diabell. He doesn't know it yet. He's going to be in the car like that. What the fuck is this? It's hot is what it is. It's, it's called hot. art. It's um, hard. It's cold. <laughs> all right. This is our, uh, let's get back on track. Thank you. Thank you, Kerm. All right. It's a Thursday show. So you know what that means. Mm. We'll say we like to call real one of the week where we pers- point out a person, entity, and organization that won the week. Raj, I'll go first. I'm going to go with Leslie Jones of SNL fame. Because she has season tickets to the Sparks, and the Sparks were so god awfully bad yesterday that she mm-hmm. was the highlight because she was turned every single place. She was she was she was getting getting uh, young ladies off the ground. Right? She's she's throwing motivation. She's doing the lean. You know when you shoot Raja and you do the lean to get the body English to go into the in, oh, no in and she was doing that willing balls to go into the hoop. She was locked in. She is a Sparks fan. It was great watching her cheer on the Sparks because the Sparks didn't really have any sort of game to speak of against the dream last night. So I'm going with Leslie Jones as my ruin of the week. Way to win the week, Leslie. I hear you, Leslie. I'm a big fan of Leslie Jones, by the way. It's a tough one because I want to I want to go I want to go with the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Just because like they had to get those dudes re-signed and they got, I mean, that core, you know, re-signed. I thought, you know, that was that was a big and and had some numbers and some flexibility that that that's team friendly. So I'm gonna give them a shout out. Um who else do I want to give us oh Dylan Brooks. Oh! <laughs> Dylan Brooks. Yeah, hey. four for 80. I'm not yeah. going to hold you. I'm not going to hold you. We had our, we've had our battles with Dylan Brooks on the podcast. I got to respect it. I four have for to 80. respect it. Absolutely. Respect, G. Respect. <laughs> respect. Four for 80. Respect that. Hey, fuck. hey, hey also, hey. Roger, he got motherfuckers hating. He got people hating right now. <laughs> they hating. <laughs> <laughs> we'll spit it. facts on this pod, but one thing we not gonna do, we not gonna hate, especially on somebody no. getting their bread. Shout out, no. <laughs> shout out is right, man. Four for eight. like, yes, sir, Dylan Brooks. And then the last one, I'd be remiss if I didn't do this. My young buck, my young buck, your favorite, Ty Bell. 
He caught his first banger last week on a 10-foot goal. Um, Is at, it on tape? A, oh, yeah, it's on tape for sure. Um, I put it on my it Twitter. Will be needed to, it needs to be put in the chat. Yeah, Twitter's also, chat. Hey, Twitter's also not a thing anymore, man. It's a thing called Threads that just came out. Did you get, did you get your Threads? Did you get your Threads? The new, Bro, the new app? Listen, I, I will be on Twitter for that. I, what do you mean Threads? Like anything... I'm you're four so years like Any, okay. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm four years old. behind right. whatever's going on. It's okay. Um, right. So for that reason, bro, entering 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 the eighth grade. You know when the first time I dunked was no bullshit. When tenth grade. You know the first I time not, I dunked, Raja. Huh? I'm still trying to figure that out right now. I'm just trying to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm six three. <laughs> dog, when I told well, yeah. the people that I covered that I couldn't dunk, dog, the looks on their faces. Disgust. So shout out to the God. Shout out to the God, yeah, my fave. Yeah. That's it, man. Real one. Bangers. And hey, man, at six foot, bro. I'm like, what? They yeah, just man. feed these kids. You see LeBron with his team the other day? Like, this is a, yeah. I, I think Bronny's in the ninth going to 10th grade or some shit like that. And all these jokers Bron- are the same. They Bronny, make LeBron Bronny's, look, Bronny's not sorry, Bronny. Bryce. Apologies, Bryce. Bryce. But, but his teammates all standing next to LeBron, making LeBron look like he's average size. Hey, like these kids, it's different. Remember when we was kids? I will say when we, because I believe you're in the same in the same ilk on this. Remember when we used to just be like questioning kids' birth certificates back in the day? That's what the whole AAU system is. So we was like, man, give me the fucking see fucking birth certificate. <laughs> you know when you got your hands and your hips because you know you finna lose because the other team is just adults. <laughs> fucking sixth graders, all of them banging out the whole the whole eight banging. How are you in second grade and you seven two? That doesn't make any sense. Um, anyways. That's another edition of Real Ones. Um, little housekeeping. We will not be on. Uh, we'll not have a show on Monday. I think this is news to Raja. We'll be back on Thursday. Um, I will be in Vegas for summer league. You will see me. I will be doing a pod with uh, Tyler Parker <laughs> this weekend. So that should be fun. Um, <laughs> and then also, you can catch me. Little housekeeping. I did sixty songs that define the nineties. With our guy, Rob Harvella. It was great. Kern produced it, so it was good. Um, And so you guys check that out. Um, Tap in. We gave you an hour and six minutes. Love it. We'll see you next week. Bye.